Well, if you can remember back to Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, you might remember that uh, I was the third one to speak. Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and I spoke on Monday morning. So there was a lot of rewriting of the Sunday morning, uh, the Monday morning sermon after most of it was preached on Sunday. <laughs> However, tonight I'm the first one to speak in the new year. So um, I thought, uh, inspired uh, partially by the words of the last verse of that hymn. Probably. There we go. It's the little fingers. The little dongle was being blocked by the uh, thing. So, ground him the Lord of years, the potentate of time. That's the thought that struck me. The potent. What, what is a potentate? Well, it's one with extreme, almighty, unchallenged in many ways, power and authority. Ground him the Lord of years, the potentate of time. And it goes on in this wonderful theme, doesn't it? Creator of the rolling spheres, ineffably sublime. And these words took me back right to the very beginning. And so, for, if you like, our text this evening... I'm just going to take you to another year and to the beginning of the scriptures and we're going to just, I'll read to you uh, the first five verses of the first chapter of Genesis. In the beginning, I expect most of us can quote this off by heart, but in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness upon the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering on the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. And at the beginning of a new year, uh, where Many of us have that thought that everything is new, everything is fresh. We open a 2024 diary and the pages are blank. And so there's a whole year stretching before us. I'm sure it's not long before the pages of the diary start to get filled up and uh, all sorts of things fill the pages. But right at the beginning, we have this blank sheet. And so I'd like to take us back right at the beginning of a new year, back to the very beginning. And from the first chapters of Genesis, we learn five great truths. Firstly, we learn, as we have just read, the creation of all things by the word of God's power. Secondly, we learn the descent of all men from our common parents, Adam and Eve. Thirdly, we learn of our connection with Adam as the head of the human race and through which that connection through which all mankind were involved with his sin and with his fall. Fourthly, uh, that one descended from Adam yet without Adam's sin 
should by suffering free us from the consequences of his fall. And as the second Adam become the author of eternal salvation to all who trust. And we find that truth in Genesis 3 verses 15 and 16. The promise that God makes that the one will come to bruise Satan's head. And fifthly, we learn of the institution of one day in seven to be a day of holy rest unto God and God himself who sets the great example, doesn't he? God, on the seventh day, God rested, rested from all his works of creation. <clears throat> and so based on these five great truths, we move on. And we begin a new year, there's much, I think, <coughs> much worth in remembering where it all began and how in many ways we have arrived, to use an old expression, at the year of our Lord, 2024. Now, of course, today we've got away with, uh, we've done away with uh, BC and AD. We now use the, um, uh, the phrases BCE, before Common Era, and after the date uh, of our Lord's birth, we use the period Common Era. <clears throat> the strange thing is that the Lord's birth is still the hinge, is still the point at which these eras, these epochs, are measured. <coughs> Excuse me. So, we come to this point, and we know that it began with actually nothing material. In the beginning was the pre-existing God. At the beginning of the creation, at the beginning of time, there was only the pre-existing God who created all things out of nothing. Creation ex nihilo. Excuse me a minute. <clears throat> so, let's go back to day one. Let's go back to day one. <clears throat> what happened? What happened when, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth? Now, we weren't there. The only record we have is the scriptures, and we believe the scriptures to be true and faithful. <clears throat> so what can we learn? Uh, from in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth well first of all right at the very beginning at his word this globe on which we live came into being it's a wonderful thought isn't it right at the very beginning before there was nothing God created God said the word and all of a sudden there was this great globe in the sky in the heavens, in the universe, this one great globe which God created came into being. This globe, <coughs> we read and learn today, has a circumference of 24,901 miles. And Richard and Sharon are going to fly halfway round that globe in the next few days and weeks. So, it's a long way. It takes 18 hours, 24 hours? 24 hours, which is interesting because <clears throat> not only does it weigh 5,925 billion trillion billion metric tons, that's almost inconceivable, isn't it? Yeah. Anybody here interested in gigantic numbers? It's fascinating. 5,907, no, 
5,000.975, almost 6,000 billion trillion metric tons. We can but get our heads around that. It rotates on its axis at the rate of 1,000 miles an hour. You know we're spinning round in the universe at the rate of 1,000 miles an hour and travels 24,000 miles per day. Unfortunately, Richard, you can't stand still and at the end of the day you'll be there. You actually have to travel. <clears throat> the Earth is tilted at an angle of 23.5 degrees. Someone's going to tell me soon it's wrong. But no, I got all these facts from the internet, yes. The Earth is tilted at an angle of 23.5 degrees. It's interesting that all this happened immediately, as God spoke, all this happened. He didn't have to say, well, let's tilt it at 10 degrees and see if it works, or let's tilt it at 18 degrees and see if it works. No, he tilted it at 23.5 degrees, and there it was, and there it is circling the Earth. This is happening as God creates the heavens and the earth. It travels 584 million miles in its annual orbit at a speed of 67,000 miles per hour. So not only are we whizzing round at 1,000 miles an hour, we're also travelling round at 67,000 miles an hour. Anybody feel giddy? No. Not at the moment, because the sheer size of the Earth. So, its orbit is not circular, it is elliptical. We're told that the Earth is not completely round as well, because while the circumference around the equator is 24,901 miles, the circumference from pole to pole is only 24,864 miles. So it's a little bit flat. So there again, this has a purpose. So here we have the facts concerning this globe on which we live. And here is a picture. And this is the Earth travelling round the Sun. And you can see the angle of its axis, 23.5 degrees. And the reason for this angle of axis is that so that no one part is constantly facing the sun and it travels in elliptical orbit we've just recently passed through the winter solstice and when the earth is furthest away or when our northern hemisphere is furthest away from the sun the next one will be the spring or vernal equinox then we go to the summer solstice and then finally the autumnal equinox on September the 21st and as the earth rotates because it rotates on its axis, we experience four seasons. So these are the facts of this great globe that God created in a word. And in verse 17 of Genesis chapter 1, we read, And he created the, plant, the stars also. He made the stars also. And there you see the nine planets. And I used to learn at school. don't know whether you still do the order of the planets yes no anybody at school you learned the order of the planets no okay we learned the order of the planets it was standard uh, scientific teaching feels nothing his head yes that's encouraging yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he can't remember can 
So, <clears throat> this happened on day one of creation. So, Genesis, Genesis 1 verse 5 introduces us to the principle of night and day as the earth is set on its daily rotation at the rate of 1,000 miles an hour and the first day in verse 5, at the end of verse 5 it says and the evening and the morning were the first day and so God has created the heaven and earth he set it spinning in the universe and he set it on its orbit <clears throat> so begins the first day the first day and that indeed was not only the first day uh, but also the first New Year's Day because that's when time began from this point time begins the earth completes its first revolution on its axis and the first day is completed the earth begins its first journey on its elliptical orbit and so because of the angle at which it's traveling it experiences the first four seasons all this happens a single word from god so a couple of problems <clears throat> for the scientists today we measure a year as the time taken by the earth's orbit of the sun which is at the center of the universe however if we read the scriptures carefully we note that the sun was not created until the fourth day we see that by then the earth's orbit was in full operation before the sun was created and that the creator in wisdom placed the sun in the midst of that orbit to provide heat and light to sustain his new creation trees and plants of all varieties having been created on day three so it's an interesting fact we're told today that it is the gravitational pull of the sun that indeed keeps the earth circling in its orbit <clears throat> there's a point to think about secondly if the sun was not created until day four what was the source of the light that came into the world that appeared on the day of creation something else to go and think about although I'll give you a clue Jesus Christ himself said I am the light of the world so that's a wonderful thought brought to our attention isn't it these are worth thinking about these points if the sun was not created until day four what was the source of the light that appeared on the day of creation okay now we come to a very important point very important points as interesting as these facts and figures are in brackets to some people my wife's smiling can't be bothered with facts and figures she lives in a world of current reality we should not only look at them as such they're not only just facts and figures are they much more importantly we should see them as a record and the result of the handiwork of Almighty God this is what God did on day one he brought these things to pass and as much as now we have the ability to measure much of the time approximately because we haven't got rulers that big or machines that big or whatever to weigh the earth but as much as we can measure them we can step back in amazement can't we 
and consider them as the handiwork of Almighty God through the agency of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The scriptures attest to this in several places. Ephesians 3 verse 9. God created all things by Jesus Christ. All things were created through him and for him. (coughs) Colossians 1 verse 16. And perhaps my favourite text in all the scriptures, shouldn't say that really, but one on which I preached a couple of times, if not many times, for of him and through him and to him are all things. You have the complete span, don't you? Of him, from creation, through him, his sustaining power, and to him, the great time of eternity when we shall share with him, to whom are all things and to whom be the glory forever. Romans 11, verse 36. And here we are today, aren't we? Somewhere between six, possibly seven, possibly even 10,000 years after the creation of that very first evening and morning. So, here's another thought to consider. How is it that the earth keeps spinning and continues in its orbit? Now, I'm sure most of you even yourselves as children or through your own children, they've had a spinning top. You know, press it up and down and it gets faster and faster. What happens when you leave it? It gradually slows down and starts to wobble and then it falls over and stops. Did this happen to this globe? God set it spinning? No, of course. The earth itself doesn't have any internal means of its own power, does it? There's no great big engine in the middle of the world somewhere down amongst the magma, working the earth in its rotation. doesn't have any of that. It's not the gravitational pull of the sun or other planets because, as we learned earlier, the earth was created first before the sun and before all the other planets. Chola clearly explained to us, didn't he, on Sunday evening in that wonderful sermon. He explained it and it's explained in Hebrews chapter 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. And here's the key verse. Whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. Interesting, isn't it? It just takes the word of Almighty God in the person of Jesus Christ, the word of his power. And when we think back to all the statistics that we've quoted, what a power it was that just by a word, all these things were brought into existence. And not only does he uphold all things by the word of his power, but at the same time he came to this world, died upon the cross, purged himself, himself of our sins and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high how worthy he is to be praised as we consider the might and the majesty and the power of our saviour the Lord Jesus Christ so why does God 
through Christ keep the earth spinning? Why does God through Christ keep the earth spinning? You know, he created this world perfectly. He went on to create the garden. He went on to create man, the highest and best of all his creation. Created men and women with the ability to communicate and commune with God and yet they sinned and rebelled against him. So, on reading the scriptures, we could ask ourselves, why didn't God, instead of just flooding the world, go the whole hog, destroy the world, and start from scratch again? A good question, isn't it? Because sin, the stench of the sin had risen up to God, and he declared to destroy. Why didn't he then do the job, in a sense, properly, why didn't he obliterate everything and start again? Well, there's a very good reason for that, because he had a plan of salvation. God had promised Adam and Eve, so he couldn't destroy completely Adam and Eve, or these line, or the world in which he had placed them. He couldn't uh, destroy that because he couldn't break the promise that he had made to Adam and Eve that from their seed one would come, one who would bruise the serpent's head. It's a thought, isn't it? He preserved righteous Noah, his three sons and their wives. He preserved elements from all the animals. And of course the plants and everything would recover uh, after the waters of the flood drained away. All that was destroyed was the vast bulk the majority, uh, the very large majority, if you like, not just 50% or 51%, but probably, I don't know, 99.999% of the human race, he took them out in the flood and he left a righteous man. But you see, as we read on, we read this account. Once the flood was over, then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a smoothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. And here's the very important part. He says, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, God knew uh, that sin would continue. God knew that men were intrinsically sinful. Men were rebellious. They had the sin of Adam within them through the line of Noah. And as much as Noah was a righteous man and was the one chosen by God to be preserved and to continue the line, he still had sin in his heart. What we today in the theologians call residual sin. It never goes away. Every man and woman boy and girl that's saved has the guilt and punishment of their sin atoned for has the guilt and punishment taken away but the sin retain, is retained in the body the sinful uh, propensities if you like the sinful desires and these are the things that Satan plays on of course to tempt us and to bring us low God knows this he knew it from before the flood and he knew it after the flood Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, not will I destroy every living thing 
as I have done. Here is the great comfort. Here is the great promise that God has made to his creation. And indeed, the only time when this will be brought to pass is when God himself, in the person of Jesus Christ, returns to this earth. When this old earth is rolled up and a new heaven and a new earth is created, a spiritual heaven and a spiritual earth uh, to accommodate the, the spiritual, the newly born again, if you like, the newly created uh, population of God's righteous kingdom. And then he makes, goes on and continues to make this promise. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night, the complete gamut of all that's necessary to sustain life on earth will never cease. God will always provide for not only his people, or those that will be redeemed and will come into the kingdom of God, but for the population of this world generally. The sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous, doesn't it? We read elsewhere in the scriptures. God has made this promise and he will continue and keep this promise until the day of its fulfilment. So then, in the light of these few fundamental facts of creation, what is our response? As we start another year, as we wake up each morning, do we stop and think about such fundamental truths that we've only been brought to another day by the mercy and the greatness of our great creator? It isn't the time yet for him to roll up the heavens and the earth. It isn't time yet for him to call us home, to take the life of so many. We have been to so many funerals over the last 15 months and already in January we're facing four. God is calling the end to many people's lives. For some, like our brother John, they've gone to glory and they're now at peace and worshipping. For others, they've passed from this life into eternal damnation. Our greatest God in many ways. So what is, in the light of these few facts, what is our response? Well, of course, the pattern for our response is provided for us, of course, in the scriptures. And perhaps, rather than at the beginning of the message, at the end of the message, we'll have a short Bible reading. And if you'd like to turn with me to this passage, 1 Chronicles chapter 29, <coughs> verses 10 to 15, we have a prayer of praise to God by the great King of Israel, David himself. Therefore, says David, bless the Lord before all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honour come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Now therefore, our God, 
we thank you and praise your glorious name but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this for all things come from you and of your own we have given you for we are aliens and pilgrims before you as were all our fathers our days on earth there is a shadow and without hope what a wonderful psalm of praise and as we look at it so briefly we notice that it is a response to God that acknowledges firstly the greatness and the majesty and the power of God the, the high view of God that all Christians should maintain in their hearts the world of course rubbishes the thought of a supreme being uh, being outside of human experience being outside of human existence but this response acknowledges the greatness and the majesty of God and it acknowledges this in three ways if we had time to look at the passage it acknowledges his eternity it acknowledges his power it acknowledges his sovereignty all those things contained in those first three or four verses but then perhaps more importantly for us the King David goes on to acknowledge a response that acknowledges the low view of men and women not that he despises men and women per se but that he has this low view of men and women before God and it's a passage that, and a response that acknowledges the humility of David and his people before God. But who am I, he says, who am I? Now he was the king of Israel, perhaps the greatest of the kings of Israel. A king to whom was granted much success militarily, politically, diplomatically. The borders of Israel were strengthened and widened uh, through David's reign. But David says... But who am I? He knows his position. And he knows the position of his people before an almighty God. He acknowledges the humility of David and his people. And secondly, it acknowledges their dependence of God. As they brought the materials to build the temple, he acknowledges that all that we have brought to you, we're only giving back to you because you gave it to us in the first place. He acknowledges their complete and utter dependence upon God it's a wonderful response and perhaps each day as we wait to each new gift of a new day we should acknowledge certainly God's sovereignty his power, his majesty, his eternity and thanks for the gift but we should also acknowledge our humility we should also acknowledge our dependence because fundamentally and at the bottom of all things he is our creator and one day we shall have to acknowledge him as such the day will come when every knee will bow of things on in heaven and things on earth that they shall acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord so finally may this be our response to God as he grants to us all as Peter says in his letter he has granted to us all that pertains to life and godliness each new day Paul writes, uh, and it's recorded in Acts, in him we live and move and have our being. Everything we have 
is depend upon him. May we day by day learn to respond to God. May we be brought back to uh, fundamentals, remembering that we're only here. So, so easily it is, and we're all guilty of this, that we, ex- we accept each new day as, uh, well, it's going to be there, the sun will rise tomorrow. It's not guaranteed, is it? We place our trust and our faith in the great God who is our creator, but also our great saviour and redeemer. May God bless his word to us.